It's time for Truth Unfiltered with Pastor Chad Harvey. When Jesus comes back, the armies in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on the white horses. Who's that? That's you and me. When Jesus Christ comes back, we're going to come back with him. We've been in heaven for seven years at the wedding supper of the Lamb, and Jesus is going to finally say, y'all ready to go home? Let's go back. And Jesus is going to come back to planet Earth, and we're going to come right along with the Lord Jesus Christ. That's Chad Harvey, and welcome to today's broadcast of Truth Unfiltered. We're glad you're here. Pastor Chad is the teaching pastor at Cross Assembly Church in Raleigh leading you to a deeper understanding of the Bible by putting the scriptures in context, emphasizing how God's Word applies to our daily lives. We invite you to join us and allow the Holy Spirit to bring truth unfiltered to you. And now, here's Pastor Chad. Well, I've uh, I've got a friend fighting cancer, and the doctor told him, He said, for the next six months, it's not going to be fun. You'll be sick. The the treatment will make you weak at times. You'll be very tired. It's not going to be fun in the short term. But in the long term, you're going to be healed. You're going to be okay. And I think that was important for that doctor to tell him, because you can go through pain in the short term when you know in the long term, everything's going to be okay. And I think God is saying to the American church, and the church around the world, it's not going to get fun. I believe y'all going to be, look, we're going to be raptured. I get it. But even before the rapture, it's not going to be fun. Things are going to get worse. But here's the thing. The book of Revelation tells me that in the end, things are going to be great. And so I can go through some pain in the short term as long as I know everything's going to be okay in the long term. And that's basically been the message for the last four months. Can you believe we've been in the book of Revelation for four months? Those of you who've been around here long enough know I never preach a series for four months. After about two weeks of a series, I get bored and want to go on to something else. So we've been here for the last four months. And this excites me because everything we've been talking about for the last four months, this is the culmination. It's all been leading up to this moment. You know, Oceans turning to blood and demons and meteors smashing the earth and antichrist and false prophets, all that kind of stuff. Everything has been leading up to today. And so I want you to look at a couple different passages here. I want you first of all to go to Revelation chapter 16. Revelation chapter 16. Now, we skipped over this last week. I told you we we're going to come back to this because remember I told you chapter 16, 17, 18, 19, the chronology kind of gets a little bit uh, confusing here. And so Revelation 16 12 through 16 says this. Then the sixth angel poured out his bowl on the great river Euphrates, and its water was dried up so that the way of the kings from the east might be prepared. And I saw three unclean spirits like frogs coming out of the mouth of the dragon, out of the mouth of the beast, and out of the mouth of the false prophet. For they are the spirits of demons performing signs which go out to the kings of the earth and of the whole world to gather them to the battle of that great day of God Almighty. Behold, I am coming as a thief. Blessed is he who watches and keeps his garments, lest he walks naked and they see his shame. Look at verse 16. And they gathered them together to the place in Hebrew, Armageddon. Now, the Antichrist, and we've talked about him for the last several weeks, 
The Antichrist toward the end of the seven years of tribulation is going to get finally, he's just tired of the Jewish people. He's tired of the 144,000 Jewish witnesses preaching against him. He's tired of the two witnesses, Jewish witnesses preaching against him. He's had enough of the Jews. And so the Antichrist says to all the nations of the world, you know what our problem is? It's them Jews. If we could gather together and go wipe out the Jews, all of our problems would be solved. Oceans turning to blood, meteors smashing into the earth. It's all the Jews' fault. And it says there in verse 14, he uses miracles and signs and wonders to gather all the nations of the earth to go and attack the Jewish people. Incidentally, that spirit of the Antichrist, it is alive and well on planet earth right now. I told you we're seeing some residual indications of that spirit of the Antichrist. Remember I told you this. Vaccinations are not the mark of the beast. They're not. But they're conditioning people to receive the mark of the beast. To say you have to have a mark on your body if you're going to have an employment or go into the store. That's preparing. That's conditioning. That's the spirit of the Antichrist. Another spirit of the Antichrist is right here. The spirit that says it's the Jews' fault. Antisemitism is alive and well on our college campuses today. The antichrist spirit is alive and well in people like Ben and Jerry who say, we're not gonna sell our ice cream to the Palestinians as a protest against the Jewish people. I don't quite understand that logic, but there's that antichrist spirit. There's an antichrist spirit. Look, it says the Antichrist is going to get all the nations riled up against Israel. That's happening right now. Author Daniel Gordas says this, between 2003 and 2012, the United Nations, all the nations of the earth, issued 314 resolutions condemning Israel. That's nearly 40% of all resolutions passed. You're approaching 50% of all resolutions against one nation, Israel. Um, of the 103 resolutions about individual countries in 2013 from the UN Human Rights Council, 43 had condemned Israel. During the UN's 2013 March session alone, six resolutions were adopting, criticizing Israel, while only four were addressing all the remaining nations of the earth. We're already seeing a global alliance formed against Israel, just like the book of Revelation is predicting. And so what will the Antichrist do? He goes and he has a staging place called, in Hebrew, it's Har, that, that means hill or mountain, Megiddo, the hill of Megiddo, Har Megiddo, Armageddon. Today, when y'all go to Israel with me, if we ever get back there again, I'll take you to this spot. We drive right by it. It's called the Tell, which is an archaeological ruin, of Megiddo. And it overlooks this beautiful Jezreel Valley. And this is where the Antichrist marshals his forces to come against Israel. Let me say this. There's not a single battle of Armageddon. That's kind of a misnomer. There's actually a military campaign, the campaign of Armageddon. And look at this next map. You see that Armageddon is in the northern part of Israel. Do you see where it says Megiddo? And right next to, uh, to Armageddon in this valley is Nazareth. Actually, you can go to the hill on which Nazareth is built and you can look out over the valley and you can see Armageddon over there. And I wonder, as a little boy, did Jesus Christ know what was going to happen? When did this divine insight come in? And did he stand as a little boy on that mountain looking over toward Armageddon knowing what was going to happen there in the future? And so the, the Antichrist marshals his forces there at Megiddo or Armageddon 
and he starts his military campaign. He's saying to the, the nations, let's go wipe out the Jews. Let's go take over Jerusalem. Let's destroy them all. And passages like Daniel 11, this is why I like premillennialism, because they take passages from the Old Testament and the New Testament, and it brings them together. Passages like Daniel 11 kind of show the battle plan. Kings from the north, an army from the north, will start attacking Israel. Revelation 16, 12 says the Euphrates River is dried up, and that allows an army from the east. Is that the Red Army of China? We don't know, but an army from the east comes in to attack. And then it says in, um, in Daniel 11, an army will come up from the south. Maybe the staging area is Egypt. We're not sure. And uh, Revelation 14, 20 shows the length of that battlefield. According to Revelation 14, 20, the battlefield is 1,600 stadia. That's 180 miles. So it starts in northern Israel. The battle goes all the way down to, to southern Israel. Keep, keep in mind, you've got all the nations of the world surrounding a country that's the size of New Jersey. And it, it says, kind of interesting, in Isaiah chapter 63, verses 1 through 6, 180 stadia from Megiddo, that's Petra. Remember I told you all that during the reign of the Antichrist, Jews are going to flood, or leave Israel and flood the nation of Jordan and probably find refuge in the nation of Petra. This tells me that the armies are saying, we're not just going to wipe out Jerusalem, we're going to go kill all the Jews there in Jordan as well. So you understand what's happening? Israel, the Jews, Jerusalem, the Antichrist has now rallied the UN against everybody, against, against Israel. And now they're all coming against Israel. And what does Israel do? Turn, if you would, to Zechariah, the book of Zechariah, okay? Don't be spiritual, just go and look in your table of contents and you'll find it. Zechariah chapter 12. And in Zechariah chapter 12, this is what happens. Israel sees that there's no hope. They're surrounded. What are we going to do? And in verse 10, Israel finally cries out. It's been 2,000 years. They finally cry out to the Lord Jesus Christ, the one whom they have pierced. They finally cry out to Jesus. Paul prophesied this in Romans chapter 11, that one day the nation of Israel will come back to the Lord Jesus Christ. They cry out to Jesus. We're surrounded. There's no hope. And what happens? Chapter 14, verse three. After they cry out to Jesus, it says, then the Lord will go forth and fight against those nations as he fights in the day of battle. And in that day, his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives. That's, that's adjoining Jerusalem. His feet will stand on the Mount of Olives, which faces Jerusalem on the east. And the Mount of Olives shall be split in two from east to west, making a very large valley. Half of the mountain shall move toward the north and half of it toward the south. When Jesus comes back, Jesus is going to return at the very same place the book of Acts chapter one says he left. It's this place right here. It's the Mount of Olives. Jesus Christ ascended at the Mount of Olives and Jesus Christ is gonna come back to the Mount of Olives. You understand what's happening? Israel is surrounded. The nations are about to wipe them out. They cry out to Jesus. And what we've been waiting for for the last four months happens. Jesus Christ comes back and he lands on the Mount of Olives. And when he does, there's some type of earthquake and the, the mountain splits in half. In fact, um, it's interesting in 1964, Pan American Airlines tried to build a hotel on the top of the Mount of Olives. They called it the Intercontinental Hotel or the uh, Hotel of the Seven Arches. 
They kept having problems with the foundation. And they're trying to figure out what's going on because the, nobody ever had any kind of problems building there on the Mount of Olives. And so they called a geologist in. The geologist looked and he found that there was a fault line on the Mount of Olives from the north to the south, splitting it east and west, just like the Bible predicted. They'd have saved themselves a lot of money if they just read their Bible. And so exactly what the Bible says, it's going to be split. And what happens after that? Well, Jesus has now returned. And Jesus is not returning by himself. Who comes with Jesus? We'll look at Revelation chapter 19. Turn to Revelation 19. Here's who comes back with Jesus. Revelation 19 verse 8, it says, Now to her, if you read the context, the her is the bride of Christ. Who's the bride of Christ? We are. Now to her, to the bride of Christ, was granted to be arrayed in fine linen, clean and bright, for the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. Verse 14. So, so watch this. We, the church, are clothed in white, fine linen. Look at verse 14. When Jesus comes back, the armies in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on the white horses. Who's that? That's you and me. When Jesus Christ comes back, we're going to come back with him. We've been in heaven for seven years at the wedding supper of the Lamb, and Jesus is going to finally say, y'all ready to go home? Let's go back. And Jesus is going to come back to planet Earth, and we're going to come right along with the Lord Jesus Christ. And what happens when Jesus finally comes? Israel's being surrounded. The armies of the Antichrist are coming against Israel. What happens? Verse 15. Now out of his mouth goes a sharp sword that with it he should strike the nations. There's not even a battle. He doesn't even break a sweat. He comes back and he speaks the word and the armies of the Antichrist are defeated in a moment. And after that, verse 19, John says, and I saw the beast, the kings of the earth, and their armies gathered together to make war against him who sat on the horse and against his army. And then the beast was captured, and with him the false prophet who'd worked signs in his presence, by which he had deceived those who had received the mark of the beast and those who worshiped his image. These two were cast alive into the lake of fire burning with brimstone, and the rest were killed with his sword, which proceeded from the mouth of him who sat on the horse, and all the birds were filled with their flesh. Jesus destroys the Antichrist. Jesus sets up his kingdom. That's Jesus. Not the precious little baby Jesus in your nativity scene. That's not, that's not okay. It's not the precious moments Jesus figurine that you have with the weird head and the little sad eyes. That's not the Jesus who comes back. The Jesus who comes back is a conquering king and he says, this mess is over. I'm a new sheriff. I'm taking over. He's the last man standing. Jesus Christ comes back. He destroys evil. He sends him into the fiery pit and now Jesus Christ sets up his kingdom on planet earth. That's where this is headed. Well, pastor, what kind of lessons do we learn from this? As I read about the battle of Armageddon, I've got to give you a couple lessons here. Number one is this. Listen to me. Things are going to get worse before they get better. Things are going to get worse before they get better. Now, there's a doctrine out there. It's not heretical. It's not a heretical doctrine. It's a legitimate doctrine. It's called post-millennialism. 
I am a pre-millennialist. Post-millennialism, the reformers like Calvin and John Knox and those guys, they were post-millennial, so they're, they're not heretical, okay? Uh, the Puritans, when they came over on the Mayflower, they were post-millennial. They were coming over here to start a Christian nation to change the world. We, we had, I'm gonna show you, Kirk Cameron and his guys were the easiest people to work with. They were humble people. I love them, but uh, it kind of dawned on me as they were talking, they are post-millennial, okay? Now, again, it's not evil and it's not bad. I just don't think I see it in scripture. Here's the premise of post-millennialism. Post-millennialism says this. Now, don't amen me, okay? Because I don't agree with all this, so don't amen me. So post-millennialism says this. Satan is a toothless lion. Jesus defeated him at the cross. He's a toothless lion. He may roar, but he has no power, okay? And if we will infiltrate culture, if Christians will get out there and infiltrate Hollywood and we infiltrate the sports industry and we infiltrate the political industry and we infiltrate the education system, we can turn our nation, don't amen me, back to a Christian nation and then that will spread around the world and then we will gradually, after a thousand years of this world being a, a Christian world, we will usher in gradually the return of Jesus Christ. Now I have several problems with post-millennialism. Number one is this, Satan is not a toothless lion. Now he operates under God's sovereign control. I do believe that, God is the ultimate God of the universe. Satan operates under his control, but listen to this. First John five nineteen says, the whole world is under the control of the evil one. Hey, we are operating in enemy occupied territory. Satan is still alive and well on planet Earth, and he is not this toothless lion that has no power. He got a lot of power. And secondly, Jesus' return is not gradual. The passage I just read out of Revelation 19, does that sound like a gradual return of Jesus Christ? No, the whole world goes to hell, and then Jesus breaks through, and it gets better. That's not a gradual thousand-year return of Jesus Christ, okay? Y'all with me on that? Now look, you're gonna disagree with me on this, and I'm, I'm not trying to be pessimistic. But y'all do understand, that ship has sailed. We're not gonna turn this back into a Christian nation. Y'all do realize that, right? I'm with John MacArthur on this thing. I think God has abandoned this nation. I think God has said, you don't want me? Fine, I will leave. I'll tell you something. We're not gonna turn America back into Calvin's Geneva where everybody goes to church on Sunday morning and it was like it was back in the 1950s. We eat apple pie, we salute the flag, we watch Andy Griffith and we all go to church. It ain't gonna happen. This nation has turned its back on God. Uh, some of y'all here are called to be politicians. We actually got more and more people in this church called to be politicians, okay? We got people here who are called to be educators in the public school system. Pastor, do I need to stop doing it? Keep doing what you're doing. Why, if this nation's not going to become an, a Christian nation again, you keep doing what you're doing because Jesus told you to do it. Hey, Jesus has told us to be salt and light out there. It's almost like we're fighting a rear guard battle. Things are going to get worse, but we can't just disengage. You keep engaging. But if you think it's going to get better before Jesus, it ain't going to get better. It's going to get worse before Jesus Christ comes back. Trust me, the supply line not bringing you Christmas presents on time, that's going to be the least of your concerns as this thing gets farther and farther down the line. So that's number one. Things are going to get worse before they get better. Second lesson I learned from Armageddon is this. We can't quit. Hey, if what I've read is true, and it is, and Jesus is coming back. He can't find us 
twiddling our thumbs or sitting on the beach drinking one of those drinks that uh, have the flowers in it and a big straw and a little pineapple. No, we can't do that. Jesus Christ has got to come back finding us, serving him. You can't quit. I'm telling you. I'm hearing more and more people, even in this fellowship, throwing up their hands and quitting. Lots of Christians are getting discouraged. They're getting tired. In fact, I was thinking about a man this week that I know love this guy. Walked with this guy for the last several years. He basically said, I'm tired of following Jesus. I'm tired of fighting the fight. I'm going to go back to the world. That breaks my heart. You, you can't do that. You can't quit. As far as the Lord Jesus Christ, we're not commanded to quit. If the battle of Armageddon is true, this thing is going somewhere. We're going to win in the end. And so in the end, if we're going to win, we've got to keep serving the Lord Jesus Christ. We can't quit. In fact, y'all know who, um, y'all know who Louis Pasteur is? Louis Pasteur, he was uh, kind of the preeminent scientist of the, uh, of the 1800s. He uh, came up with vaccines for rabies, vaccines for anthrax. He made milk safe. He was kind of the uh, celebrity health scientist of the 1800s. He's kind of like an ethical version of Anthony Fauci. And so uh, somebody asked him one time, they said, what is the key to your success? I mean, you've done all these things against all odds. And I love what Louis Pasteur finally said. He said, let me tell you the secret that has led to my goal. Listen to this. My strength lies solely in my ability to never give up. Do you know how many times in the Bible we are told, just stand, okay? You don't have to be creative. You don't have to be innovative. Just stand strong. This world is so messed up. If you'll just keep standing for the Lord Jesus Christ, you're going to be ahead of the game. Don't quit, just stand. I shared this, talk about that campfire revival thing we had a couple weeks ago. I don't know how many of y'all were there, but they asked me, the people who did it asked me to share this. So this is becoming one of my go-to sermon illustrations. I love this. There's a story about Napoleon Bonaparte. Uh, he engages in battle on a particular day. But this day, things aren't going well. He is a military genius. He can read the signs. He knows this battle is lost. So he calls an assistant to him and he says, look, go down to the bugler and tell the bugler to call the sound for retreat. The guy left, five minutes passed, 10 minutes last. The, the bugler has not called the sound of retreat. So he gets a second guy. He says, I don't know what's going on. Go to the bugler and tell him this battle is over today. Sound the retreat on your trumpet. He leaves. A few minutes later, there's no sound of retreat. So Napoleon says, I want to see myself what's going on. So Napoleon himself rode down to the bugler and he says to the bugler, you have been ordered twice, young man, to sound the retreat. Why are you not sounding the retreat? Here's what the young man said. Sir, you never taught me how to sound the retreat. He said, I didn't. He said, no. The only thing you ever taught me was how to sound the charge. Napoleon thought of it and said, all right, well then sound the charge. And he sounds the charge and the armies go forward and they win a victory that day. I'm here to tell you, Jesus never taught us how to get discouraged and quit. He never taught us how to retreat. He never taught us how to back down and go the other direction. Jesus Christ teaches us to charge. And I'm telling you, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, be bold, be strong, go take the land. But we got to go forward. We can't go backwards. 
And, uh, and this verse, actually, I think this is for somebody here today. This hit me this past week. Galatians 6, 9. I don't know who in this place needs to hear this, but here's what the Bible says. And let us not grow weary while doing good. See, some of y'all getting weary. You know, well, why should I stand for the Lord Jesus Christ? It'd be easier to take the path of least resistance than just let us not grow weary while doing good for in due season, we shall reap if we do not lose heart. And so if the battle of Armageddon is true, I say, number one, things are gonna get worse before they get better. Number two, you can't back down. Y'all can't retreat. And then number three, we are in a war. Over and over the New Testament, look, God could have used any type of imagery he wanted to describe the Christian life. In the New Testament, over and over and over again, do you know what image he keeps using to describe the Christian life? It's a battle, it's a war. Hey, we're in a war. We see that in places like 2 Corinthians 10, 4, we're in a war. Ephesians 6, 11, we're in a war. 2 Timothy 2, 3, we're in a war. 1 Corinthians 9, 7, 1 Timothy 1, 18, Philemon 1, 2, over and over and over again, we are in a war. Now, here's your problem, the church in America. We don't realize we're in a war. That's why the church in America is declining, because we don't realize what's really going on around us here. And uh, that's why you have a lot of church splits out there. Listen, I was talking to a guy one time. I was on a board with him. His name was Ken Blanchard. He's a big business guy. And he shared this story. He said, you know, my father was in World War II. He was a Navy guy in World War II. He loved the Navy. Ate, slept, drank the Navy. And he said, uh, then one day, my, my dad calls me up and he says, Ken, I'm going to take early retirement from the Navy. I said, Dad, why are you doing that? You love the Navy. That's your life. So here's what the father said. He said, well, Ken, here's the problem. Wartime Navy is different than peacetime Navy. Thanks for joining us for today's Truth Unfiltered broadcast. We invite you to join us again next time for more great teaching from Pastor Chad Harvey, teaching pastor at Cross Assembly Church of Raleigh. Celebrating over 20 years as senior pastor of Cross Assembly, Chad Harvey brings the truth unfiltered of God's Word to your daily life. Originally from Salisbury, North Carolina, his passion for reaching the lost, sending out spirit-filled agents to a global mission field, and equipping each member to lead their family in the amazing love and grace found only in Jesus has been the cornerstone of his time in leadership at Cross Assembly. Together with his family and a loving pastoral staff serving all throughout the week, they welcome you with open arms with any need, question, or request for spiritual guidance you face today. More than just a radio Bible teacher, discover the true blessing of joining God's family right here in the Triangle at one of our two campuses with a third coming this fall. Join us any Sunday for our online worship service at crossassembly.org. That's crossassembly.org. .org. You'll be glad you did. Dream Center started back in 2014. Since then, it's been amazing to see how we started in more communities. And even through the pandemic, we grew from serving seven communities and ultimately impacting 57 communities over a short time. But watching the impact, it was the local churches that were stepping up. It was people like you that were coming out. You're serving, you're volunteering, and just pouring into the community for the sake of God's kingdom. Looking forward, we want to encourage you to be involved. If you're not familiar with us, go look at our website, RaleighDreamCenter.org. You can see all the places 
places where you can volunteer, you can help package the groceries in our warehouse. You can come serve out in the communities. You can play with kids and hang out. Or if you're in the recovery world and you, you know somebody, maybe you have a family member who's going through it and you want somebody to walk alongside them, keep the Dream Center in mind. Send them along to us. We'd love to, to walk that walk with people uh, because we love people and we believe that's where Christ called us to go. In Matthew chapter 25, verse 40, uh, we see the great response where Jesus was said, I, I, I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. I was naked and you clothed me. And just all of these practical ways that the believers are supposed to walk and operate and how it's truly serving Christ in those ways. Thank you for those that volunteer. Thank you for those that give to this ministry. And together we can continue having a long lasting legacy here in the Raleigh area. If you would like more information about Pastor Chad or Cross Assembly, visit crossassembly.org. Again, that's crossassembly.org. You're always welcome to visit us at any of our locations for Sunday morning services. You'll find locations and service times on our website. To support this ministry, text CROSS to 45777. That's CROSS to 45777. Join us again next time for more teaching with Pastor Chad Harvey, teaching pastor of Cross Assembly Church in Raleigh, and more of God's truth unfiltered. (laughs) 